We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Okay, we'll be in uh, Psalms tonight, uh, Psalms 29 and Psalm 30. Psalm 29, God's Word says, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, Glory. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Psalm 30, God's word says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, And to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth 
and clothe me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Good evening. I'm going to stand down here this evening just because it makes it easier for me to see the PowerPoint. In fact, I'm going to turn this a little bit. John, you might have to readjust the camera. I'm not sure. For any of the slightly older kids that may be staying in here, I don't know if there are any. But if not, you can grab them later. I have created, or adults, but uh, pay attention at least until the end. There is a word puzzle here. I got this idea from Pastor. He did it uh, a couple months ago. And I thought, well, some of these ones might be a little bored by this. But uh, so if they'd like to grab this at the end, they can do that. Maybe a little homework this week. And uh, I'd like to see that later maybe next week you could do that but all words taken from this section of the doctrinal statement on god the father so these are sitting back on the table in the back if anyone is interested i feel like i'm getting a little uh a little hot here on the mic uh turn the game back maybe a little bit thanks jack Before uh, we move into the uh, doctrinal statement here, the section on God the Father, if you haven't been with us the last two times we did this, I think it was a Sunday morning during the uh, Sunday school hour that uh, we covered the first two sections of my, what this is my personal doctrinal statement. So if you go online and look at the church's statement, it might slightly differ. I hope, hopefully not too much. And I'll say, uh, if it does, well, then I'm wrong and it's right. I'll just it out that way. And uh, I hold dear that doctrinal statement on the church website that we believe in. Uh, But this is mine, personal one, and so perhaps some of the language is a little bit different, wordage, verbiage, whatever you want to say. But uh, we looked at the first two times, we looked first at the doctrine of the scriptures, and then the doctrine of the the Godhead, generally speaking. Of course, you know, uh, this gets in a little bit more detail on the specifics of each of uh, the persons of the Godhead, but that was last time, and then, of course, this evening, God the Father. But I wanted to start off, before we get into it, by reading from Second Timothy chapter 3, uh, just a few verses, just a brief comment on the topic of doctrine and why do we study it. Um, it's not simple, simply for knowledge uh, to have a bunch, of, a bunch of facts in our mind, but really it is supposed to be transformative in our lives. And so, though it's important to know these facts and have this knowledge in order to avoid errors, errors of the past, errors of the present when it comes to unsound doctrine, uh, it also is transformative to our lives. And Paul writes here to Timothy, and he's speaking to Timothy here concerning how Timothy has conducted himself and how he should conduct himself. And I, and I, uh, I encourage you this evening to think as if, in a sense, Paul was speaking to you, how you are to conduct yourself as a child of God, 
one who is seeking to please God. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then perhaps two verses which we are all so familiar with. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's the goal, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that is our endeavor even this evening as we focus on one of the uh, purposes of the scripture, which is for doctrine. Uh, But even that, the doctrine is so that every man may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so that is our, my prayer for us this evening, even as we look at uh, this part of my doctrinal statement this evening. Um, If you've been here In the past two sessions, the common practice is to read through part of it and then look at some of the scripture passages. And I hope that you will just meditate on those passages. And as I've said before, if you have a question, just raise your hand and I will try to answer it to the best of my ability. If I cannot, I will either get back to you or, uh, excuse me, or I'll just point back at Pastor Matt and he can, he can answer it. I have here in the first part of this section that I write, I believe that God the Father, the first person of the eternal trinity, uh, as the only absolute and omnipotent ruler in the universe, is the ultimate source of all things, the sustainer of all things, and the controller of all things. Looking here at a few verses then, 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for him, and the one and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. So one God, the Father, and he is our sustainer. Ephesians 3.9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, so emphasizing the fact of his, uh, the work of creation, how the Father and the Son were both uh, part of that work. Nehemiah 9.6, you alone are the Lord, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all, the host of heaven worships you. So God is uh, the creator, but he is also the one who preserves these things. 
and the host of heaven, that is the angels, uh, worship him. Psalm one forty nine, excuse me, Psalm one hundred four, verses nineteen to twenty two. He appointed the moon for seasons; the sun knows it's going down. You make darkness, and it is night, in which all the beasts of the forest creep about. The young lion roars after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they gather together and lie down in their dens. God provides the food for even the animals. How much more does he provide for us and think of us? Of course, he appointed the moon for seasons. He directed all those things, orchestrated it all. Proverbs 19.21, There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. His word, his decree is everlasting. It will happen, and uh, we can count on that. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You might scratch your head and say, how does this relate to what we just talked about? Well, the fact that God, uh, God will sustain and he will preserve you to the end. So uh, can't we get, then count on him to make a way of escape and even temptations and to help us through that? I think we can. Scriptures tell us we can. Romans 11.36, for, for of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Continuing on here, as creator, he is father to all humanity, but he is spiritual father only to those who he enters a fatherhood relationship through the new birth. I believe he also indwells believers, forgives their sins, and answers their prayers. Perhaps you haven't thought about it in that way before, that indeed, in a sense, we can say, you know, all men can say that God is their father because he is their creator, uh, and he is over all things in that way. But really, when we talk about fatherhood in that relationship, we're talking about only those who have been born again. Ephesians 4, 6 says, One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Acts 17, 29, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. I take this to mean that even, yeah, in this sense, then we are all, of course, from God, he has created us, and therefore we are, in a sense, the offspring of God, his children. Again, uh, that does not mean that all are spiritually related to him in the sense of a, a spiritual relationship, but we are all created by him. In that sense, we are all his offspring. Romans 8.14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so now here we speak of those who have entered into that uh, spiritual fatherhood relationship, so much so that uh, he calls us his sons, and we can call him our father. John one twelve. but as many as received him, to them he gave the right 
to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Galatians 4, 5, and 6, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And so uh, because of our being justified, we are legally considered adopted sons, adult sons, with all those privileges and rights and inheritance. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. John 14.23, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. And so he comes and he abides with us, as we saw there in the statement just a moment ago. John sixteen twenty three, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And so God answers our prayers. He abides with us. He forgives our sins, 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thankful for that kind of father, right? Spiritual father who has done all these things for us and uh, will continue to do that. Move on to a second part in this section on God the Father, which is predestination. uh, This next three parts here is focusing more on the specific works of the Father uh, as it relates uh, to him. I say here, I believe that God's decree is that eternal plan of God by which God has rendered certain all the events of the universe for all time according to to the counsel of his will. Now, I just want to clarify here when I say God's decree, um, what I mean by this is those things which he has eternally decreed, events, uh, uh, election of people for salvation, in distinction from what sometimes we call God's moral will. So sometimes we say God's sovereign will or decree and God's moral will. The distinction being, when we talk about God's moral will, it is those things which he has commanded, but may not, cert- may not necessarily be obeyed or come to, ha- come to place. You know, God has commanded all of us uh, to be holy as he is holy. Do we perfectly do that? No. God has commanded us that we not lie. Well, do we lie? Yes. It's not that God's will is failing. It's that we have failed to obey his moral will. So, Uh, But that's distinct from what we call his sovereign will, or what I just simply call here his decree, which are those things which will certainly take place. Nothing can thwart it. It will come to happen. So that said, I describe it or define it as that eternal plan of God by which God has rendered certain, that is, you know, it cannot fail, all the events of the universe for all time according to the counsel of God. His will. Some passages then to back this up. 
Uh, I guess actually I have it after this. Uh, I believe that God's decree is singular, all-inclusive, freely made. That is, he's not coerced by man, but uh, freely made, unconditional, eternal, immutable, that is, unchanging, and is certain to be fulfilled for the ultimate purpose of his own glory. Uh, Verses are coming, I promise. (laughs) God's eternal plan includes all the means and results of those events. God's decree included sin, yet he is not the author of sin, nor can he cause, coerce, or engage in sin. I want to just pause there for a moment uh, and kind of emphasize that. So, you know, God is, number one, he's not dependent upon, you know, any person for his plan to be fulfilled. He has all the means uh, and results. uh, He plans all the means and results of those events. He's sovereign. But secondly, uh, you know, maybe this is where we get a little bit tense or just trying to understand exactly how this works out. But we have to say that God's decree included sin. Nothing is outside of his control, right? And so in that sense, we have to agree from what we know of God and his character and his sovereignty that he did decree sin. That does not make him the author of sin, though. You know, every man is uh, drawn away uh, when he's tempted by his flesh. James talks about that. Uh, he does not... Uh, Cause So what I might say here, if I can expound, is that he uses what we call, call secondary causation. He allows others, Satan, our own flesh, to tempt us. Uh, he does not coerce or engage in sin. Uh, you know, God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone to do evil. Hmm. I know I had verses there, but uh, they seem to be escaping. So what I'm going to do here is back up just for a moment, and uh, we're going to look some of these up in our Bible. We don't need the PowerPoint, do we? Psalm 115, uh, verse 3. We won't look at all of these since it'll take a while to flip through them all. Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Uh, He is not coerced, manipulated in any kind of way. Psalm 139, verse 16, says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written. God's decree being eternal. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. So even before time, before our existence, God decreed all things uh, concerning our life. And uh, they were written. They were written. They were set in order. Um, Why don't we turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Or you can just listen as after I turn there and read it. Uh, 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And then uh, chapter 3, verse 11. Let me uh, just back up just a little bit to give us some context. Um, I guess we'll have to go back to verse 8. To him, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all, uh, <clears throat> make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And then I'd like to look at uh, just a few of these here. We already read Ephesians 1.11, Romans 8. 28. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God's uh, decree is freely made. We can look at those passages um, but I'd like to uh, go down to uh, the one in Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14, verse 27, says this. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? No one, right? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Now, of course, um, the context of this is the destruction of Assyria, but this is representative, I believe, of all of God's works and act that, you know, who can thwart the plan of God? Who can annul it, turn it back? Uh, no one, what God has decreed will happen. And then um, I'd like to go to Acts chapter 4 and read uh, those passages next. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered to do, together to do whatever your hand and your, your purpose determined before to be done. So even though it was Herod uh, by you know, association and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel 
who um, sought to put Christ to death. Behind all of that, of course, we know and believe was God's purpose. And so that would be what we would call secondary causation. God causing his purpose to come about, his decree, by using ordinary means, the hatred of the, the Israelites and even Gentiles and, and rulers like Herod and Pilate to ultimately fulfill his purposes. And then um, why don't we uh, look at the James 1.14 passage as well. Familiar, I know, but uh, good to consider. James chapter 1, verse, let me begin in uh, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And so we can say he has decreed sin, but he does not coerce. He does not uh, author in that sense. Uh, he does not engage in sin. Uh, we are drawn away when we are enticed by uh, the flesh, the lust of the flesh. Moving on to uh, another aspect um, not really a work, but just an aspect of who God is, foreknowledge. Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. I think we did read that already. 1 Thessalonians 1.4, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. Ephesians 1.11, In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. 1 Peter 1.2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Romans 11.2 God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the, what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, of course we could read the rest there, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um move on here then to calling and justification. I say here, I believe that those whom God predestined for salvation receive an effectual call that results 
in salvation. So what I mean there is that not only has God predestined, of course, a biblical concept for salvation, uh, but he also, uh, those who he has predestined, he calls, and that call is an effectual call. What do we mean by that? It means it will result in salvation. Um, that is distinct from what some call or have referred to as a general calling that may be rejected. You know, how many times have we preached the gospel and it's fallen on deaf, you know, deaf ears, blind eyes? So, yes, the gospel is going out, and that is what we might call a general call, but not all respond. But those whom God has predestined for salvation uh, will, will respond, maybe, maybe not necessarily the first time they hear the gospel, uh, but they will eventually respond, and that call uh, in general is effectual. Romans 8.30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's kind of a tangent here, but it's an interesting idea that uh, he puts all of, Paul puts all of these in in the past tense. But you think about that last one, you know, he glorified. Hmm. You know, has God glorified us in our, our bodies? No. Are we perfect and holy? Completely? No. But I think what Paul is doing here is he's writing from the aspect that what God says he will do will happen. As so, in a sense, it's as if it's already happened because it is so certain, so certain that it's as if it's already happened. You know, God works outside of time. That doesn't mean then, yes, presently we're glorified, but because of that, and along with the fact that it's so certain, then I think Paul writes in this way that we have been glorified. Nothing can undo uh, what he has promised in that respect. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Second Peter 1 Peter 1.3, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Acts 8, 18.9-11, now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For many, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Why did I include this? Um, although it doesn't specifically talk about calling um, or justification, it, it alludes to the fact that God has predestined and he will effectually call more people in this city. It will happen. And so Paul is instructed to stay there because God has predestined certain people there for salvation whom uh, will be called by him through the preaching of, of Paul. Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Many For many are called, but few are chosen. And I take this then to refer to the idea of this general call. 
So many are called, you know, repent, believe, be saved. But of course, not all will. Only those whom God has chosen will uh, receive that call and uh, come, come to him. Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Again, I use this to refer to this idea of the general call that is, uh, well, really always rejected. If it's the general call, it's never received. If it's an effectual call, then it will be. And uh, the Israelites were, you know, have a poor kind of record here when it comes to resisting uh, God and his word and not, uh, not turning to him. I believe that those whom God effectually calls, he calls, he also justifies. That is, defining here what justification is, that act of God whereby he judicially constitutes and declares the sinner perfectly righteous by means of the imputed righteousness of Christ. Romans 8.33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Acts 13.39, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Cannot justify ourselves. The law cannot justify us. Only God in uh, his divine work can justify us, declare us righteous because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to our account. Romans 3.24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. An act of grace, not an you know, merited. We talked about this in uh, junior church this morning with the rich young ruler who you know, asked the question, you know, what good thing can I do in order to have eternal life? There is no good thing that we can do. Christ has already done that good thing on our behalf, and we must look to him in order to be uh, redeemed and justified by his grace. Romans 3.26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God is uh, the just one and the justifier. Interesting. Hmm? 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Galatians 3.8 In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before, saying, And you, all the nations, shall be blessed. God will not only justify his people Israel, those who believed in him, but even from uh, the very early stages of history here, we see that uh, God uh, preparing a way to justify the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Titus 3.7, that having been justified by his grace, 
we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Really, this verse uh, pertains both to the aspect and the concept of justification, but also the fact of, or the idea of adoption. Because what does the verse tell us? We are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Um, I believe that those who the Father predestined, called, and justified are adopted and judicially placed as a son of God and an heir of all his benefits and provisions, whether present or future. 2 Timothy 1.9 Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Romans 8.15, For we did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Similar passage to uh, Galatians 4. We looked at a moment ago. Romans 8.17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Uh, again, here we are, I know we already read this, but Galatians 4, 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. There is a sense in which you know, adoption is a kind of a judicial legal act of being placed into God's family, but I would uh, also say there is an experiential side to that. And Galatians 4 and the Romans passage speaks of that, that we have a, an innate kind of uh, understanding and uh, really emotional, if I can use that word, uh, understanding of our relationship to God, so much so that we call him Father. You know, maybe we somewhat kind of, uh, without thinking, often say in our prayers, Heavenly Father. Do we often think about what we mean by that? (laughs) He is indeed our Abba Father, our Heavenly Father, placed into his family. And uh, we have that interpersonal relationship, so much so we can call him that, our spiritual Heavenly Father. You know, who knows us better than even our earthly father knows us. Uh, How much of a blessing is that? Galatians 4, 7, Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And we are that, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Romans eight eighteen and 19, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. A lot to think on there. Romans 8.21 Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So here, again, all verses pertaining to the aspect of our adoption into the family of God, being called children of God, and uh, 
all of the attendant blessings and obligations with that. Well, that's all I have for this evening. I don't want to keep us too late here, but I would welcome any further thoughts, questions, uh, if you'd seek any clarification on something. Uh, sorry for some of those verses that were missing there, but glad we could have our hard copies here to look it up. Pastor Matt. Okay. Um, I have a list in my head. I don't have it right here. I could either click through. The first section was simply uh, the first person of the Trinity, uh, focusing on that. And then after that, uh, I believe I had uh, predestination, and then foreknowledge, and then calling and justification, uh, and then... The last one, I maybe I don't know that I actually had it on there, but you could title adoption. Sorry, it does seem like some of the slides were a little out of order tonight, so I must have not carefully checked through that beforehand. But John. Yeah, um, of course I agree with the fact that we talk about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, I take that from the language of abiding. Uh, he makes our, his home with us. So whether that be specifically through the third person of the Trinity, maybe we can make that con- kind of conclusion. But the overall aspect of indwelling, I think... Um, is sourced in, from God and the fact that he makes his home with us. I don't think when Jesus says that, he's simply referring to the Holy Spirit, but perhaps to the full Godhead uh, and the, the Spirit being sent by the Father to do that. I don't know if that answers your question, uh, at least in a way that you're content with or not, but we could talk about that more later. <clears throat> George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you say that last part again? I kind of didn't hear the last part. Yeah, I mean, certainly he had already spoken some about the Holy Spirit in that way. Uh, I think that Acts passage does pertain to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I do think it's more than that. It also has to do with the fact that God, um, through his Spirit, was going to give the apostles a certain powers and, you know, to be able to perform miracles. Um, 
something you know that we don't have per se today that kind of uh, power endowed upon us to at least perform miracles. Although he's given us power to do other things, overcome temptation and and, uh, and persecution and, and and the like. But yes, certainly it relates. Questions? Any uh, any others that you have this evening? Um, yeah, let me, uh, Jack's got it there. Jack, I think it'd be, uh, on the, f- one of the first slides. Yeah. Oh, uh, there we go. John fourteen twenty three, And I think that is the abiding one. I don't know that I actually, did I read that one or not? Uh, 14. Yeah, 1423. Actually, let me read uh, back in 2019. A little while longer in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in, the, in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then uh, Judas, not Iscariot, the other one, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me... Uh, does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So I'm comfortable, John, saying that um, overall it is a work of the Father, but it is through the third person of the Trinity that uh, he is expressly manifested. Um, but I would say to that, too, is something that's maybe a thought that's evolved in my mind over, over the days, uh, years, is that when we talk about indwelling, I don't think we should think of it so much in a kind of um, a f- the physical realm as if, you know, God were not uh, somehow always in us or with us in the sense of his omnipresence. You know, is there any place that God is not? No. So I tend to think of it less in the physical realm as if, you know, there's the Holy Spirit seated somewhere in our, in our body but really that he manifests himself more uh, more <laughs> to the believer. Uh, I wish I had another word to kind of describe that better. But he is more expre- expressly manifested with the believer. That is not the case with the unbeliever. Uh, he does not have God with him, uh, residing in him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry, was that a question or a statement? <laughs> Yes, yeah. Well, Jesus said it, of course. Uh, he says, uh, verse 23 again, We, my father, excuse me, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to, make, to him and make our home with him. So, you know, even in that sense, then there's the second person of the Trinity involved, and then, of course, the Father and the, and the Spirit as well. Christy. Um, 
I don't think you have to make the two contrast, uh, the phys- you know, whether it's physical or just more ma- manifesting himself, because regardless, um, the body is still the temple of, of God, the temple of his spirit. Um, we, are, we're t- we talked about this on Saturday, that we're to steward then our body. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leery to just emphasize, even in that sense, that, you know, um, because our body is the temple of the Spirit, it's as if, you know, again, the Holy Spirit's, you know, seated within us in a kind of physical sense, uh, more than he was, you know, before in the sense of his omnipresence. Again, it's something I'm still kind of working through, but I, I, I do want to be careful to then make that stand in contrast to his omnipresence, that is, as if God is not, you know, everywhere. So I know that's probably not fully satisfactory. I, I, I would like to think more about that and give you a better answer on that if you let me do that. So, George. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that's helpful, George. Think about that relationship with the temple. Very good questions. Uh, I don't, I don't uh, claim to have the perfect answers, of course. Uh, and uh, but the good things to think through. It's important to have, you know, these questions help us understand the importance of thinking about these, so that we don't uh, have fallacies in our minds or even in things we say so that we don't contradict some other doctrinal uh, truth you know, at the you know, sacrifice of another one or to uphold another one. So very important. Uh, we want to be faithful uh, communicators of our God's word, but that requires us to be good understanders. <laughs> if I can use a kind of not a best grammar there, but uh, to truly understand so that we can communicate well and, and uh, truthfully. All right, so our time has gone away. Let me close in prayer, and you can enjoy some fellowship. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. I do pray that uh, we would uh, understand your word more clearly, fully, so that, uh, well, so that you can get more glory through our worship, through our communication of your word, that we might rightly understand our relationship to the Father course to the son and to the spirit as well lord we thank you for our adoption into your family we thank you that you have called us you have justified us you have lord glorified us in a certain kind of way that will come to pass and uh, in the meantime lord uh, there is a sense in which uh, you have redeemed us and made us able to now follow you and Though not perfect, we are more like your son than we were before we were saved. And I pray more than we were yesterday and the day before. And help us to continue down that path of Christ-likeness in the days ahead. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming out this evening. Enjoy some warm fellowship before you enter into the cold air outside. All right. Have a good night. You're dismissed.